on this title screen behind me, uh, recently I was going to go to the Blanton Art Museum because I just had like an hour of time and I was near it, but I forgot that it was closed. And then it dawned on me once I was already there and had already parked my car because, you know, it takes some time to do all those things. I was like, well, you know, like the place that I lived for a year that I think I've tried to like psychologically block out of my mind um, is also not very far. So maybe I could like just go over there and kind of reminisce. And so I went back to old Jester West. I was on the 10th floor. I'm not exactly sure which of these windows was mine. Again, lots of psychological blockage uh, from my time in that space. It still smelled. The very first time I entered Jester West was when I was a part of Texas Boys State. Yes, I was a part of Texas Boys State uh, in 1999. And I remember walking in and it had that Jester smell. And in 2023, when I walked in, it still had that jester smell. I was all the way back to being a rising junior in high school there, and then also a first-year student there. So anyways, uh, we'll be talking about reflecting on what it means to return home and to move beyond nostalgia. So I thought I would sort of prime the pump a little bit with uh, a couple of thoughts of what it was like for me to return to Jester West and to see places and to think back about myself and to be able to reflect with wisdom about things that I know and love about my myself, but also things that I was unwilling to accept and to acknowledge uh, about myself and to hold all of that with tenderness. And even for me to try to uh, speak words of love and affirmation uh, to that 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old self that I would have been at different parts of my life uh, moving around in Jester. So I wanted you to think back. You don't have to necessarily say all that I just said there, but when is the time that you've returned to a place that once felt like home for you? And I'm being very like liberal with ever calling Jester West home for me. Um, and what were you hoping to experience? So if you would think about that for a little bit, if you're near someone you feel comfortable sharing with after you thought about it, you might share. Give us just a couple minutes to reflect on that. And then if there's a place and or thoughts about what you're hoping to experience, you want to share back, would love to hear that. All right. So would love to hear from you all about... Uh, Sometimes you were trying to return to a place. Maybe what was that place and what were you hoping to experience? We'll start with the place first. What was a place that you tried to return to that had felt like home at one point? Your hometown church, trying to return there. I'm sure for a lot of us that has stirred up lots of feelings and uh, yourself as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh. Other places? Birmingham, Alabama. The magic something? No. Yeah? The magic city? Okay. Um, also, oh, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Yes. Um, yes, a complicated place. Yes. Also sometimes called Bombingham during uh, the civil rights era, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, a complicated place. Uh, I will not give commentary for everyone, I promise. Um, so, any other places that we tried to return to that it wants? Your old job? Okay, it's like the works site or the yeah, office. Okay, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
I did that just yesterday. I said I wasn't going to comment on all these. Okay. Uh, <laughs> any other places you tried to return to that once felt like home? Chicago. Chicago. Awesome. What were you hoping to experience when you returned there? Any thoughts about that? Familiarity. Familiarity. Rest. Don't even navigate the, the changes. The yeah, just how do you even navigate this the city that's changed? It's not my problem with Chester West. It's still pretty much Chester West. But yeah. Um, the joy of family and friends. Mm, the joy of family and friends. Yes. Yes. As I'm thinking about it, it's like just one of these big places that I've seen kind of rolling back in this past. I wanted to experience the sense of optimism and positivity about life that I had at the time I would have been. Mm, yeah. That's great, Tom. So yeah, wanting to experience that sense of positivity, that optimism uh, to life that you had back then, maybe trying to recapture that. Uh, yeah, it's beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, and will be a great segue into another part of my homily. So thank you. Um, <laughs> our lectionary text uh, starts off uh, with uh, the disciples uh, this is post the ascension of Jesus, right? So Jesus had risen from the dead. He had spent some time with the disciples and then he ascends into heaven. And in the book of Acts, there are these divine messengers that have to tell the disciples, like, why are you still like staring up in the sky? Like, this is, this is not the thing. You're missing the point. You don't need to continue to look up there. Like he is now at the right hand of God. You, you are to now go to Jerusalem and to wait. Um, which I'm sure felt really challenging for them. They had just had uh, a month or more ago, uh, several really hard days without this person who had been their leader, their guide, their teacher, their mentor, the person they were following, that for them really their, their syllabus or curriculum really just meant like, watch what I do and learn from it and emulate me. And he had been gone in a tomb and now he has left again. I could imagine there would be like for those of you who have puppies who really love your dogs, they're just like kind of waiting there by the window. Like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? I'm just going to wait here till you come back. And, and they don't, but you know, you, you have that sense that they're just like, I can't wait for my person to be here again. And I imagine the disciples felt a little bit of that as Jesus ascended into the heavens, um, whatever that language is trying to evoke and mean for us and for him and how they experienced it, that there was that, okay, so yeah, what do we do next? And that probably the answer to just go to Jerusalem and wait probably felt a little hollow for them. Uh, okay, uh, we had our person back and now we just are to go sit in a room. We had been sitting in a room before waiting. Does this mean he is going to return again? What will that look like for us? And to think about their expectations that they were navigating and what they might have been hoping for. I imagine they were hoping that Jesus had said, I have to go away so that God can send another advocate, another spirit in the gospel of John, that perhaps they were still hoping, maybe this means Jesus is just gonna return again in an even cooler way uh, than he has returned. And I wonder what it was like for them to wait and what they were expecting. Verse two starts off, and suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house 
where they were sitting. Notice with me that there is no actual wind. It is that there is this sound like the rush of a violent wind, this whooshing, this fill it in your bone sound that emanates from the heavens. Uh, my coming of age in the 1990s mind immense, immediately can only think of one thing, and that's, of course, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt were out to show us that tornadoes were just as awe-inspiring and fear-inducing as T-Rexes, though the box office comps of Jurassic Park and Twister might seem to indicate otherwise. Um, and though mid 90s CGI did best to give tornadoes this Oppenheimer type atomic feel of destruction. Uh, it really was kind of just like, okay, that was it, a lot of wind. Yeah, yeah, maybe if you weren't trying to chase these things and instead just like sheltering down, this might be going a lot better for you. Still not so great for the cows, admittedly, and I did love seeing cows fly around in the CGI and the tornado. Um, but the CGI cows, you can love seeing CGI cows fly around in, in tornadoes. Um, yes, <laughs> some people are reminding me about nonviolent communication and you're gonna recenter for the homily. Um, for me, as someone who has lived all my life in Texas and as I've already tipped my hat to earlier, graduated the University of Texas, at the very least was helping me to learn that being in stuck in Oklahoma can really seem terrifying. Sorry, my Okie friends who are out there, much love to you. Uh, Recently, this past week, Wei and I uh, went to a post-evangelical collective uh, regional gathering hosted at uh, Austin New Church, and the Reverend Brittany Graves, creative teaching pastor at Peace Wilco in Round Rock, helped us to process a morning message centered on spiritual trauma in the church. She is also a sound healer and led us in a sound bath. For 15 minutes, we were invited to hear and feel the sound filling the room in ways that were inviting our healing and our wholeness. And I wonder if spirit coming on that first day, even though we do hear that it was like the sound of a violent wind, was less like a terrifying tornado and more like being surrounded by a sonic bath of healing that these traumatized and anxious and terrified disciples still wondering what is the next thing coming for us all of a sudden find all of themselves invited and surrounded and immersed in the sound of the Spirit. Verse 3, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. Notice with me again that there is no actual fire. There are these divided tongues that are as of fire that appear among them. Fire, just like wind, is often associated, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, with these moments where God is showing up and unveiling God's self to us. And so this note that the Spirit coming, it, it sounded like wind, and that the tongue was, was like divided tongues of fire, though it's not actual fire, is also meant to tip its hat to. This is an unveiling of the presence of God and that each of the tongues then comes and rests upon them. What are these divided tongues? Are they like the mythical hydra that is lashing around? Not sure if they are, if I'd want something quite like that resting uh, on my head. Whatever they are is left a bit of mystery to us. It's a reminder that though we can 
always and do seek in our spiritual journeys to give language and expression to our understanding of God and how God shows up in our community and is here to offer wholeness and healing and liberation to our community. We are ever still grasping at trying to describe and explain this mystery. And that should keep us uh, at one point humble and open about what it is we truly can know and what our experiences of the divine might mean. And also to the degree that like Mary, we have pondered them in our hearts. I think it can also empower us to take steps of faith saying this seems like the next right thing that I need to do or the next right way we need to be in the world. Um, this whatever can be understood about these divided tongues is a manifestation of the spirit that is permeating this gathered community in its entirety. So they are all empowered. It, it perhaps is a different thought. They had been playing follow the leader for several years, following a singular person. And so perhaps even if they, were, if they were maybe first hoping for Jesus, and Jesus, at least in a physical embodied way, does not return, then perhaps they might have thought, well, we know in our Hebrew Bible that the Spirit of God would come around a certain person. You, you might have a Deborah or a Samson that is empowered by the Spirit of God, and, and they would be the mighty leader that we follow. So, so perhaps that's what's going to happen, and, and it will be Peter, or it'll be someone else, uh, and we'll follow them, and they will be the next person that we emulate. But instead of that sort of hierarchical thing, we see the Spirit falling, alighting on each and every one of them. Perhaps for Pentecost, we are invited this Pentecost Sunday to wonder, to imagine, to be curious within ourselves, how is the Spirit of God animating me? How is it animating us collectively? Verse four, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave ability. At least in Acts 2, the Spirit's manifestation, the speaking in other languages, the speaking in tongues, is not something that is unintelligible. It's not something that needs an interpreter. Uh, it is neither the miracle that we might have expected because everyone is being able to speak in other languages, right? It's not as if, okay, all of a sudden, everybody, like in my Star Trek mind, there's like these interpretation things, like, okay, we can all then sort of basically speak the same singular language, even though we might. It's like, no, everyone is hearing, but they're hearing it in the language that they might have remembered their caregiver singing to them in as a little child. They're being reminded of the sounds of home, of a place, of a culture that was nourishing. It's not as if somehow, oh yeah, I could just understand it because this other language is being made intelligible to me. No, the spirit is somehow reaching them in the language of each of their hearts, which is powerful and which I think helps to challenge us and what it looks like to embody and to be animated by God's spirit in such a way. This is no monolithic one size fits all. And so as we think of spirit, which uh, scholars have done lots of work to show that for many, not all people in the earliest 
expressions of Christianity, at least for the first century or two of its existence, uh, the spirit was often understood as a mother. And as you can imagine, as institution and empire started to flex its muscles, less and less did language of spirit and its mothering nature and quality uh, and pronouns starts to show up less and less and less. But in these earliest days, we can imagine, as is evidenced in the writings of the early church, that spirit was understood as a mother. And, and what might spirit be birthing? What kind of new home for us? And the first thought is that we can hear one another through our diversity, not uniformity. It's, it's, it's not in spite of our diversity. It's not this like, oh, isn't it cool that, that despite the fact that they have a different theological beliefs or different parts of the political spectrum, or they may have different ethnic or cultural or sexual or gender expressions and understandings and identities that somehow uh, they can still be together. But no, that in fact, God is saying through that, that this is the very lens, the very mosaic pain that God's light wants to illuminate through each of us collectively as Vox so that people might get a greater glimpse of how God, they, she, he, and all of God's glory can be manifest in the world through us together. Verse five, now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this that sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Our text is reminding us, which seems like a little bit of a puzzlement, like you're in Jerusalem, that was back then a Jewish city. And <laughs> so our text is like, and there were devout Jews. Yeah, of course, because it's Jerusalem. Um, but it's also tipping its hat to the fact that this was the festival of weeks, this seven weeks of seven days, which is 49 days. So on the 50th day, the celebration after Passover, uh, what the Hebrews often call Shavuot, uh, was being celebrated. So there would have been even a larger gathering of the diaspora of Jewish people in Jerusalem on this particular day because of this festival. Um, Rabbi Arthur Waskow says it like this, Shavuot represents the moment of the great meeting, the great marriage with the infinite other. The people of Israel on the trek from slavery meet at the mountain, meet the voice that becomes visible, meet the universe that shed its silence and begin to speak. The weeks of tension end in the festival of weeks, Shavuot. This Jewish festival had been celebrated for centuries. It greets the culmination of spring and the entrance into summer. The first fruits of the harvest uh, were offered. The new identities that were birthed at Passover are ready now to intermingle and be joined together. As we think about a Pentecost rootedness, how do our new identities birthed from resurrection power stand ready to intermingle with one another? How might we move to the dance of our sacred uniqueness while also living into our common good? How can we lean into connecting with community as summer 
begins. I think in our announcements, we've already been given several great ways with the API Chinatown Rising screening with uh if you are around needing something to do next Sunday, uh, joining Ben and Ashton and myself at Meanwhile at 11. Uh, and also, if you are trans or you know someone who is trans and needing to find ways to access healthcare, being able to reach out, what, what might it look like for us to say in the spirit of Pentecost that we, we are ready now in the newness of our identities to begin connecting with each other? Uh, verse 17, which is beyond what was read today, uh, but is a part of the lectionary text of today. Peter then begins quoting the prophet Joel in this sermon. There, there is that we were left with this tension of, well, so are they drunk? This is like the new wine, right? And, and Peter's like, well, it's, no, it's, it's nine. Like, even we don't go that hard. Like, it's nine. <laughs> like, that's maybe for like 1030 that you might have a case. Um, but instead... Uh, Peter goes back uh, to this beautiful memory from their Jewish collective past and uses it to make sense of the present situation. He reaches back to Joel 2 in the Hebrew Bible. This text does not pit generation against generation. We're not exactly sure in the book of Joel what the cataclysmic apocalyptic moment was that they were facing, but they were facing one. We don't know if it was a famine. We don't know if it was an impending invasion, uh, but there was something that had the entire nation terrified. And, and the prophet Joel, as Joel preaches, doesn't then say, you know what we should do? We should blame the millennials or the Gen Zers, or we should have a lot of boomer jokes because, you know, the boomers are the ones who really ruined everything. Instead, Joel begins imagining that what if God's spirit really were poured out upon every generation and that instead of being in this tension of conflict with one another, we could actually begin to work together for the good of what God is doing in the world. In these last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. There is this beautiful thing that is crossing gender norms, spanning generational differences and saying, God's spirit is there. It's there. Look for it. And everyone and every place, it's there. Walter Brueggemann says, referring to this Joel text, uh, that Joel 2 is a text cast as apocalyptic, quoted in Peter's sermon at Pentecost. In this usage, the massive incursion of God's spirit that is anticipated is no ecclesial, that is church function, but refers to the prospect of the entire population now propelled by God's emancipated spirit. The connection of the Joel text to Pentecost assures that Pentecost in the tradition of the book of Acts is no domesticated ritual. It is rather an access point whereby God will undo all that has failed and act to protect that remnant that is aligned with God. And so I can imagine some questions for a Pentecost readiness. How do we shift from celebrating Pentecost as what happened in the past to an anticipation and openness to the new thing spirit is up to now? How do we move from idolizing the past towards the flexibility of midwifing the new? What does it mean to create a safe harbor for all in an empire that commodifies us 
dehumanizes us and stratifies us. Mothering Spirit births new homes so that we can look for these creative gifts across the community there, each one of us. And so I want to look as we end our time together at nostalgia. I listened to a podcast by Dr. Christine Bacho was interviewed and says, nostalgia was coined or invented a long time ago, over 300 years, and originally designated homesickness. Well, semantic drift over the centuries has broadened that to the notion of longing for the missing aspects of a person's lived past. Uh, This can make sense to me as much as I might want to be like, yeah, nostalgia is something for like older generations. I have a sneaking suspicion that the fact that I'm rewatching Stranger Things right now, which is already itself a nostalgic project that I'm like now having nostalgia for the nostalgic project. And or the fact that despite, yes, sure, my boyfriend loves to play video games and we're living like long distance from each other. So it's nice to be able to play them online together. But I really think perhaps maybe the selling point of me recently purchasing a Nintendo Switch Tears of the Kingdom edition might have been the fact that the greatest video game experience my heart can remember still is the Super Nintendo Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past that I'm still somehow just trying to get back to it again. Dr. Bacho goes on to say, nostalgia is an emotional experience that unifies. One example of this is it helps to unite our sense of who we are, our self, our identity over time. Nostalgia, by motivating us to remember the past in our own life, helps to unite us to that authentic self and remind us who we have been and then compare that to who we feel we are today. So what nostalgia, what is it good for? It's uniting our sense of self, especially in times of change and turmoil. It's this authentic self of past and present that can give a sense of who we need to be in the future. And socially, it connects us to others. Ultimately, Dr. Bacho talks about it being this bitter, sweet emotion. Like with the sweet, we think, oh, the good old days, whatever that means. Oh, a link to the past, the greatest video game ever. But then we have the bitterness of, and I've already played it, and I can't ever quite return. So it both grounds us in a sense of safety and connection, and then also reminds us that that's not there right now in that moment. But how, having tasted that, can we return to the present and search for the things that were meaningful in that to rebuild or to reimagine in our present situation? And so in that way, Mothering Spirit Births New Home is cultivating hope from the past to get unstuck for the future. So how might we stimulate one another to bring to today the best of what we can from our past? I want to suggest a practice that uh, is suggested in this podcast of connecting intergenerationally. Is there someone in our faith community, your family, your workplace or neighborhood with whom you might form and strengthen an intergenerational connection? What are some stories, memories, highlights, surprises, or wisdom you might pass on to others? Some questions for connection. Where have you seen encouraging progress or change born from adversity? What was it like living through that? Were there things present in the past that we are not doing as effectively today? What might we be missing out on? Moving forward, how might we seek what seems to be lacking anew? 
And so as we share across generations, you could even think uh, towards younger generations, is there a storybook, a song, a game, or a culinary treat you might share with a child? If you have children, you're probably already doing this, uh, but you could also consider what it might look like to share with someone else's child. And for those who do not have children uh, in their homes can also think about the connections they have with other families and friends and what it might be like to share that. And how might you reach out to older generations to ask them what storybooks, songs, games, or treats were meaningful to them growing up? In uh, The Wiz, at the very end, uh, Dorothy is ready to return home. And so she sings, When I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. I wish I was home, I wish I was back there with the things I've been knowing. When that makes the tall grass bend into leaning, suddenly the raindrops that fall, they have a meaning. Maybe there's a chance for me to go back now that I have have some direction. Maybe there's a chance I'll get home. It sure would be nice to be back at home where there's love and affection. And just maybe I can convince time to slow up, giving me enough time ooh, in my life to grow up. Time be my friend. And let me start again. Suddenly my world's gone and changed its face. And I still know where I'm going. I have had my mind spun around in space. And still watched it growing. And oh, if you're listening, God, please don't make it hard to know if we should believe the things that we see. Tell us, should we try and stay? Or should we run away? Or will it be better just to let things, let them be? Dorothy wonders what it would be like to return home having experienced an unsettling and tossing of things and having had this sort of time in this liminal space of Oz, but to come back with the wisdom of who she now is and the strength that will help her to face the adversity waiting for her at home in a new way. Let us pray. We listen now for sound that surrounds and summons us, inviting us into our diversity and resonating in our idiosyncrasies. We open ourselves to hear notes of home and peculiar places and people. We wait longing for the familiar, yet anticipating unsettling newness. May we heed your messengers, reminding us not to stare too long at the elusive past. We open ourselves to waiting that prepares us for an unexpected future. We long to move from memorializing the past to embodying the hope of the present. May we know both the beloved safe harbor and empowering emancipation found in the arms of mothering spirit. We open ourselves to being propelled forward by taking the simplest steps. 
We ask all this in the name of the God who is sound, calling us to community, the ascended Son who bids us to wait, and the mothering Spirit who propels us forward. Amen.